Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. January or February, everybody all right with that? I figure out, I don't mind going verse by verse, just really dissecting the word because it's still the word. Uh, I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, well, if you spend too much time in one book or one letter, the people are going to get bored. I was like, well, then you're a horrible preacher or they're not saved because they have no understanding of the word. One of the two, but maybe probably a combination of both because you had the audacity to say that out loud. Uh, but anyway, I appreciate y'all being here and I know it does become tedious, but it's because I think we oftentimes leave too much meat on the bone. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And I don't want to do that to the degree that I can. Um, so today we're going to talk about a lesson that I've titled The Charge. Last week, or that is the week before that, because Thanksgiving was last week, uh, we talked out of verses one through five, where Paul told them that he wanted the Colossian church, and by telling the Colossian church by the power of the Holy Spirit, us, that he wants us to be encouraged, infused with courage to stand against those who would tell them something other than Jesus is enough. And then to walk in love that unifies them. And then finally, to walk in the full assurance of who they are in Christ Jesus and the work that he's done. In verses 8, really through the rest of the chapter, he starts telling them, listen, you need to really pay attention. Don't listen to people that are talking crazy, that aren't telling you the gospel that you've heard, that are trying to deform the gospel that you've heard or manipulate it for selfish gain or any of those things. So he really starts really circling in or, or focusing in on what he wants the Colossian church to know in regard to the problems that they were facing. But between those two things in verses 6 and 7, he gives a charge of three things. Uh, and I've titled this lesson, The Charge, because we have been charged to do the same. He gives them a charge that they must, be, that they must remember as they confront and stand against those who would preach a false gospel. And we have to understand these things too. The, the reason people preach false gospels are, are multiple. They're, they're threefold, I think, prideful. If they're in it for sordid gain, as the scripture says, or self-gain, they want to put their money in their pocket, or they're unaccountable to the word of God. And what I mean by unaccountable to the word of God, listen, I, I want to make this point before we really get started. I am convinced, as much as they still need to be opposed, most false teachers are false teachers by accident. They are false teachers by tradition. They, have, they are teaching because they were taught incorrectly. They haven't received a true revelation of the word because they don't seek greater knowledge of the word, greater revelation of the word. But it still makes them a false teacher. It may still means somebody needs to come against them. Somebody needs to oppose them so that they might be made right. Amen? And so I don't want you to think that this... this False teacher is always some deceptive, intentionally defrauding person because although that is the case oftentimes, it's not always the case. Sometimes they just don't know they don't know. And I tell you that for this reason, because we have to defend the gospel for their sake too. 
Because as I, as we come together with a true gospel, maybe, just maybe, they'll hear a piece of the truth they haven't heard before and it will unlock in their spirit the thing that they've been missing so that they can walk in the wholeness that we know. So I don't want you to think this is a condemning statement all the time when I talk about false teachers, but false teachers, whether in tradition or because they're hoping for self-gain or because of their arrogance, they will see judgment. So let us do all we can to ensure that they don't because they do horrible damage to the church. They cause us to start thinking wrongfully. I grew up in a church of God of prophecy, which at that time, I don't know if they're still this way, it was a very, very legalistic um, denomination. Women had to wear dresses, preferably long, ankle-length blue jean dresses, hairs in a bun, no makeup, no earrings, no wedding ring or jewelry. They couldn't do anything. And if you sinned one time, you were going to hell and you had to repent as though you were being saved for the first time. And it, that's just not the God we serve. Amen? But it's because of their tradition. They didn't know they were false teachers, but they were still causing condemnation, both to the people they were speaking to and to themselves by teaching the word wrongly. And so we have to stand opposed to those. We have to because we've been commanded to. Ephesians 5.11 says, Do not participate in un." fruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Did y'all catch that? Even expose them. So we got to tear the layer back and say, hey, bro, I see you. You know, most of the grime that exists in society exists in the shadow, exists in the darkness, in the wet space, in the creepy crawly space. We got to pull that back so that they can be exposed to the light. That's what the word of God is telling us to do. Don't be involved with that, but instead expose that. Anywhere there is false teaching, we should, with a very loud voice, be willing to suppress and overcome it with the truth. Do you know why? Because the truth will set them free. And the truth will set you free. So there's three things that I want you to pay attention to here. We stand opposed because the truth is revealed so that we might protect the truth itself. Because I'll tell you, anytime a lie is told and repeated, it grows. Hitler in Nazi Germany was famous for the saying, tell a single lie, tell it repeatedly until everybody believes it. And that's happening in the church right now. There's a Baptist church in Virginia right now advertising for a, an event that they're having at their church hosted by a drag queen singer. Because someone has told a lie long enough for them to start believing that it's true. You know what we need to do? We need to rip that back and expose that. Amen? So we have to protect the truth. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the homosexual will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not condemning them. The word of God brings judgment upon them. I am loving them because I'm willing to tell them the truth. I have to protect the truth first. And in protecting the truth, I have to love and protect the believer and the unbeliever. Imagine coming to Jesus under a false gospel just to find out that you didn't actually come to Jesus in the first place. 
thinking your whole life that you were saved and you weren't saved because you heard a false gospel? Imagine now being the person that told them that false gospel at the throne of God. We have to protect the truth, protect the believer so that they don't sway from the truth, and protect the unbeliever so that they never buy into an untruth. Everybody good? And Paul desperately wants them to know this. And in fact, we should know this. There's a biblical mandate to speak against this. Titus 1, 10 and 11 says this. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers. And what? Deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced. If you guys know those of the circumcision where the Jews and Judaizers would come into a local church and say, yeah, Jesus is cool, man, but you also got to do this, 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 and this. So he's saying, listen, you don't have to do this, 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 and this. Jesus plus nothing is enough. And so must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of what? Sordid gain. Because they want their own platform, because they want their own privilege, because they want their own position. And that's not why God created the platform. God created the platform to glorify the name of Jesus that he might be raised up. Amen? In Romans 16, 17, Paul writes, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn from them. I love Paul. Paul's one of my favorite writers in the Bible because Paul never minces words. He just puts it out there, lays it out there, and if you like it, that's cool. If you don't like it, he's still cool, right? He said, and turn from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Christ. You know, we're supposed to be Lord. We're supposed to be slaves of Christ, right? Submit our body wholly and completely to him. Not to Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. Whatever it is they fancy. Whatever hole they're trying to fill. That's what they're slaves to. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they, decide, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Can I tell you, I have two reasons that I, I love to preach. One of them is because I get to tell the gospel. I, think, I believe I tell the whole true gospel. Uh, and if you ever think that I don't, come talk to me. We'll have a discussion about it. If you think I messed up, if I messed up, I'll fix it. I'll fix it publicly and tell everybody. Um, but I get to tell the gospel, but also this piece. We make sure that the hearts of the unsuspecting aren't deceived by revealing the truth to them. Not just in the gospel, but in everything necessary in equipping them. It would be impossible, according to these texts, to, to, be, to silence and turn away from them if we don't know the truth and if we don't hold to the charge we've been given. And so Paul gives three charges in this text that I'm about to read to you. It's chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ, just Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with, thanks, with gratitude. Some of, your, some of your Bibles may say thanksgiving or thankfulness. So here's the three things. Number one, because you received in him, because you received him, 
walk in him. Because you received him, walk in him. Verse 6. That's all it says. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ, walk in him. How do we receive Christ? We receive him according to the scripture by a declaration of faith. What is that declaration of faith? Jesus Christ is Lord. Believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead and the Bible says I shall be saved. Listen, when it says Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ can only be the Lord. You can't have two Lords or three Lords or a part-time Lord. Or You have to have Jesus Christ as Lord. Because according to Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. I'm just trying to tell the truth to you plainly. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not any of these other crazinesses out here that are still in their grave. My Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. He's been resurrected, and because of that, I have the hope of resurrection. He is the only way. Whew. Under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. Jesus himself said it in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then what do he say? There is no one comes to the Father except by me. Man, what does that mean? No one. <laughs> well, that means no one. But what does I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life mean? This means this. Listen, this is good. The way by which we are saved. He is the way we are saved. It is His work, His suffering, His life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, His defeat of the enemy, and death itself is the way we have an opportunity to be saved. And we should glorify God for that. He is the truth. He is the revelation of God. He is the standard by which all other truth is measured. If you look at the scriptures and you look at Christ Jesus and anything you're doing, anything you're seeing, anything that you're hearing is contrary to the personality, to the ministry, to the actions, to the spirit of Christ, then guess what? You have a misunderstanding of the truth and you have allowed the truth to be manipulated in you being subjective instead of the objective truth that it is. Yeah. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We have a life of joy promised to us, a life of, joy, of peace promised to us. We have a life overflowing right now. And I wish some of y'all could get a hold of that. Yeah. Just stand up straight. Pick your chin up. Realize that the king or the creator of the universe knows who you are, wants to be your friend, has done everything to ensure that he can take care of you and that you stand under his paternity. We've talked about all these things, right? He is the life. Live the life that he died to give you. Here, all, but my circumstance this is... If you allow your circumstance to determine your joy, then you don't have joy in the first place. Because this, op this world will offer you a thousand opportunities to be unjoyful. 
But you know what? People will notice the Jesus in you when in a situation where everybody else is losing their mind. When you back yourself up into a corner and you just smile. Because you know, God is, these people have positioned themselves just in the right place to receive a blessing from God. So he is the way, the truth, and the life, but not just now, life eternal. Again, why? Because of the work that he's doing. I'm just talking about receiving right now. You have received. That's what he said. We have received, but we've received. We need to make sure who we received from and how we received by faith. Galatians 3, 27, 28 says this, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Yes, we have. Can, can y'all can y'all see my belly? No, you should you should be blessed with that. Can you see my legs or my? I got funky old man toes. Can y'all see them? No, you know why? Because I'm clothed in it. You know what clothed in Christ means? It means I shouldn't see you. I should see Jesus. Though you who you used to be should be covered with the glorious nature of God. These aren't small words. These are huge words because we were given the opportunity not to be walking around in the filth that we are, we were, but in the Jesus that we have. And so he says... Clothe yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for all are one in Christ Jesus. So I think that's great because this speaks to we're one with him and we're one with one another. Come on, y'all better get excited. The word's good, ain't it? I know I get carried away sometimes. I talk too loud, too fast, and too much. But it's important to me. So we've discussed receiving, just this receiving Christ, the fact that He is who we have received, walking in Christ, because that's the next piece. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. Walk in... Like I... This would be very easy for me to take a left and say, so just, just be comforted, y'all. Just walk in the joy that you have. But you know what walking in Christ Jesus actually means? It means obedience. It means walking in submission to God. In an American society, we don't like authority. But you know what? You're not in American society. You're in heaven society. And so you are under an authority. And so you should stand under that authority and walk in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus is the one we've been called obedient to. I told you a minute ago, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to Christ. Amen. So every piece of us should be a slave to Christ. We have to be obedient. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, this is Jesus, that's a capital M, he will keep my word. It doesn't say every other page of my word. It doesn't say the things that are comfortable to you, the things that are convenient to you, or the things that don't cost you something. He said, keep my word. And my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our abode with him. Isn't that crazy? How closely obedience is tied to 
God's love for us. Now, I don't want to cast legalism on you, but I want to cast his lordship on you. Lordship says I'm going to be obedient. So when I'm obedient, I prove that I have a Lord in my life. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Let me meddle a minute. <laughs> Have you ever thought that being obedient to God was burdensome? Man, I'll tell you the truth. I have. I thought, man, I don't like that. There's stuff my flesh likes to do that my favorite hate love affair on the whole earth is with the book of James. <laughs> you know, if you've ever read it, if you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go read it. You'll know what I'm talking about. James is the boot leather version of Christianity. You want to know who Jesus is? Let me tell you your responsibility to who Jesus is. And sometimes, especially when I first got saved, all that stuff was burdensome. Like I had to learn to shave that off by the power of the Holy Spirit. I had to ask God to remove that from me. And then I'd fall and I'd ask him to remove that from me. And then I'd remove that from me. And then a piece would actually fall off. And that piece wouldn't be burdensome anymore. And then I'd find another piece. Here's the thing about the pieces. You think you got this one great big piece. If I can just get this one great big piece out of the way, man, I will be golden. And then you realize that piece is the first big piece on a stack of indefinite pieces because you're not perfect yet. And so I, got, I finally got that one removed and I was all, what's this piece? And then I started becoming burdened by that. And it frustrated me and it frustrated me and it frustrated me some more. But you know what? It's worth the work. Because there will be some point that it won't be burdensome to you. It will be a way by which you prove the love that you have for God. The Angela asked things of me, expected things of me, and had every right to do it when we got married that were burdensome to me. They were contrary to the way I'd normally done things. She actually wanted me to be nice in our house. <laughs> she had some crazy expectation that when I got mad... I wouldn't throw and bust a remote. <laughs> you know how hard that is when you busted a bunch of them and you're all, I can remember we'd start, or really I'd start fighting with her and she'd be all looking at me like crazy. like. And I can remember literally just, you're not going to bust this one. You're not, you're not going to bust this one. And then five minutes later, it's busted anyway. That was burdensome. But you know what? I haven't thrown a remote in 15 years. It's not a burden to me anymore. You know why? One, I got tired of buying remotes. But primarily, because my love grew for her to the degree that I wanted to be pleasing to her. I wanted to be obedient to the desires that she had, the expectations that she had. That's why the commandments of God aren't burdensome, or they shouldn't be. Kevin's a very heavy responsibility. This obedience thing. It, it's the responsibility of our whole life. Romans 14, 8, and 9 says, For if we live, we live for the Lord. 
or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, wherever we live or die, we are the Lord's. Did you hear that? Whether I stand here right now, I belong to God. If I drop dead right now, I belong to God. Living or dying, I belong to God. That's so good. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Here's the question before I move on to my next point. If I got time for my next point, I'll make time. Is God getting what he paid for with the blood of his son Jesus in you? Can I confess something to you? He's not getting everything he paid for in me. But I'm trying. I'm pressing in. I'm striving. It would be disingenuous for me to stand here and tell you I got it figured out. The only thing I've got figured out is that Jesus' love for me and his sacrifice is enough for me to keep trying to figure it out. Amen. Point number two. Paul knew this was going to be hard, so he continued his charge with this. Remember your instruction and grow in it. So first he, he tells them, Jesus Christ is Lord, be obedient. And then he says, remember your instruction and grow in it. In verse 7 it says this, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with with gratitude. I'm not going to cover the having been firmly rooted again because that's essentially an inference to what he just said. It's a, it's a restatement. You've been firmly rooted because you were in Christ Jesus. But then he says this. He says, now, Having been firmly rooted, now that you know who you are and you know the necessity of being obedient, now being built up in him and established in your faith. You need to be built up in him. Be built up in him. What does that mean? We become built up in him when we abide in him. When we live under the shadow of who he is. 1 John 2, 6 says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. Do you walk in the same manner in which Jesus walked? Or can I just ask you, are you striving to? I think the biggest grace that God gives us beyond our salvation is the he didn't get it right this time, but I'm going to strengthen you by the Holy Spirit to get it right the next time. Just keep walking. My granddaughter's just learning to walk. She's, she's kind of getting around pretty good walking now, but within the last few months. And you know, those of you who've had children, you remember, you're all, you intentionally stand far away from them, right? Here, come on, come on. First, it's just a couple of steps away from them because that's far to them so that you can reach out if they can't fall. And they fall and you pick them up and then you step back a little bit more. That's what God does to us. Come on, just keep walking. You can do it. Be built up in it. No, if you abide in me and I in you, as the branch can not bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
This is about growing. To be built up in him means to grow in Christ-likeness. What we've often referred to here as progressive sanctification. It's a process. It's something that you figure out. But here's the promise of John 15, 4. It says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. The promise that you will bear fruit is the guarantee in that verse. You'll bear fruit of greater righteousness. You will bear fruit of the Spirit, which is essentially to say greater righteousness. It's interesting to me that it's not interesting. I just, it kind of perplexes me a little bit. You know, the fruits of the Spirit are, that's capital S. That's fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. And people say, man, I just want to look like Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like that. Go to Galatians 5, read the fruits of the Spirit. If you're growing in them, you're growing in righteousness. You're growing in Christ Jesus. You're being more and more completely sanctified. Because that's what the Spirit is. That's what the Spirit who indwells you has empowered you to walk in. Amen? Amen. And so he tells you, be built up in him. Be built up in him. Move from milk to meat as you digest the word. And he says, and then I and then he says, be built up in your faith. Be established in your faith, which means be built up in your faith. How do we do that? There's probably a bunch of ways. I've, for the sake of time, I want to condense it to three. Honestly, for the sake of time, because I knew I wouldn't have time, I've only written down three. And I'm going to start right here. Psalm 119.11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to grow your faith? Grow the time you spend in your word. Have y'all ever read any of this? Just a couple pages of it. If you've ever read just a couple pages of it and believed that those few pages, you have faith. This thing says that a dude stuck a stick in the water and a river parted. And I believe that to be history. I don't believe that's some metaphor for something. It says that another guy commanded the sun to stand still so that he could win in a battle that God might be glorified, and guess what happened? The sun stood still. Do y'all know that defies science? Yep. But that's all right, because God created everything that's science-based around anyway. People say, well, if it really happened, everything would fall off the earth. You understand God made the earth. He can make people stick to it. There's just stuff in here. There is a story in here about a guy who came out of heaven, gave his life, died on a cross, defeated death, and rose again. That builds faith. Just read your Bible. You'll build your faith. Secondly, I would tell you prayer. Pray while being guided by the Spirit. Jude 1.20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So it says, But dearly beloved, as you build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your prayers. How many of you guys have ever fought through a prayer? Like you're all, And then, and then I don't, 
oh, and then your head starts thinking about something else. You know, let me tell you, that's probably not a spirit-guided prayer. You haven't released yourself completely to the spirit that you might be guided in your prayer. Here's the thing, if we allow the spirit to move us in prayer, then we know that we're praying according to the will of God, right? And according to John 5, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, anything we ask according to the will of God, he hears us, and because he hears us, we have what we've asked for, then we know that our prayers work, our prayers are answered, and when we our prayers are answered and we feel the Spirit of God moving us, guess what it does? Builds our faith. Y'all ever had a prayer answered? Or pray for somebody that had a prayer answered? Amen. Was your faith built? Amen. Mine too. Pray. Read your word. And then finally, fellowship. Bible says this, and I don't like it when people use this condemningly. In Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking your own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, I don't think this thing is about, you better be in church on Sunday, as it's so often used. They need to be church on Sunday. It's about fellowship. It's about the strength that's drawn from a unified body of believers. It's about being encouraged by a unified body of believers. It's about hearing the testimony of my friend Steve Seckler. It's about hearing the testimony of my brother John and what he's been through in his life and where he is now. It's about hearing the testimony, not only of Miss Vicky, but the, Vic, but the testimony that I know is coming that's gonna be even greater. It's about testimonies and hearing. And let me tell you, that'll build your faith. I don't have to be part of it. I just have to hear about it. And I can't hear about it if I've isolated myself. Amen? So Paul says, build yourself up in, your, in faith. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. And then he says, he ends and walk in gratitude. I intentionally, which is my third point, but it's really just my closing remark. Everything God's given us. Imagine being ungrateful for. Everything be grateful. I, I've struggled in my life. I, you guys know I was a runaway for a year when I was a child. I've done about everything I know not to do. I destroyed my life four or five times over. All of it. All of it. I wouldn't trade a piece of it. Because it's amazing that in every facet of what God has allowed to happen in my life, not necessarily created, but allowed to happen in my life, I find somebody, there's very rarely anyone that I don't have the ability to talk to about who Jesus is. <laughs> God's placed so many doors of conversation in my life. My wife told me all the time, you can talk to anybody. Well, really, it's a, you talk to anybody. <laughs> and I do because it's easy because God's created opportunities through my trials to talk to just about anybody. Isn't that good? And for that, we should be grateful. I hope you're grateful. Not just for what he's done, but for what he's allowed to happen around you. Amen?
these things are necessary. These three charges are necessary as he begins to develop his argument against false teachers next week or further in the letter. He didn't wait a week to write the letter. <laughs> and moving into next week, I want you to contemplate them. Where do I need to walk in here? Where, where do I need to grow in my faith? And where do I need to be thankful? Amen.